We're going to turn to that word now. Uh, We're working our way through the book of Mark. We're up to chapter 14, verse 12. We're going to read from there through to verse 26. So I'd encourage you to open your Bibles there and follow along uh, as Karina reads those words for us. Mark 14, from verse 12. Verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city and meet, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, One of you will betray me, who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thank you, Karina. Um, keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through those verses. Uh, there's probably some familiar things if you've been in the church for a while, but there's some really important details there that I'd like you to notice. And so please follow along uh, with me as we work our way through this chapter. Uh, you might have caught the story in the news, it was either this week or last week, I think, a uh, story about a, a well-known teacher in Melbourne who was coming to the end of his career. Uh, and it was quite a career. He'd, he'd been a teacher for 50 years. He'd gone from teaching in classrooms to becoming a principal at a number of schools. Uh, he was even principal of uh, Caulfield Grammar, you know, prestigious private school in, in Melbourne, uh, and was quite well-known. Uh, when his career ended, he was... A, uh, leading a, a kind of a private tutoring college that was designed to give college students the best uh, entry marks into uni uh, and apparently was very successful. Uh, his students spoke of how much they appreciated him and of how much he inspired them. Uh, his colleagues said he was a great guy to work with and they really appreciated the way he approached the job. Um, and his career ended, his career ended because it was discovered that he was a fraud. Uh, He was a fraud. 
Uh, he had actually flunked out of uni. He, I don't think he ever made it past first year at uni. Uh, and he decided, uh, having done that, that he wanted a career. So he just grabbed his dad's teacher's registration number and faked his way through an interview and got a job. Uh, and then he got another job and he kept on going until he became a, a principal. He faked that he had two bachelor's degrees, that he had a business qualification, that he belonged to all sorts of prestigious boards and groups, and everyone believed him. I mean, <laughs> like, you've got to give this guy credit. He, he was really committed to this lie. That's a fair effort, isn't it? But can you imagine living like that? Can you imagine for 50 years living that lie that is so blatant? You know, your whole life built on that lie, always in fear that maybe today is the day you're going to be discovered. Maybe today you're going to be exposed and, and found out and your whole life is going to come falling down in pieces. What if it's today? <laughs> that would be exhausting, wouldn't it? It would be terrifying. Well, I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians live out that sort of fear. A fear or an anxiety. What if I'm just a fraud? What if I've been living a lie? Maybe, maybe my life's a, a, a fake. Maybe my faith is a fake. Maybe, maybe I don't really have it together as I, I think I might do. Maybe one day I'm going to be exposed, I'll be caught out, and it'll be proved that I've been wrong all along. That's, again, a terrifying way to live, isn't it? You know, you, you, you're standing now, you're, you're standing in the future, all called into question. It's not only terrifying, it's exhausting to live under that sort of anxiety, isn't it? And our passage today also says, it's unnecessary. We don't have to live under that sort of exhaustion. We don't have to live under that kind of worry and terror because we see in this Last Supper a whole bunch of fakes, a whole bunch of frauds given really great assurance. And that same assurance, that same confidence is offered to you as well. We're going to see it this morning. Last week, if you were here, uh, you will have noticed it was two days before the Passover in, in Mark's account. Uh, well, now we get to Mark 14, halfway through Mark 14, and Passover is here. And like, this is a big deal if you're a Jew. Okay? Passover had to be celebrated in Jerusalem. Uh, everyone was called to do it if they were able. And so, you know, you've got hundreds of thousands of people flocking into this city to all find a place and be able to celebrate this, this enormous meal and celebration together. Uh, and Jesus is not going to miss that. He's not going to let it pass him by. Sorry, that was a bad pun. Uh, <laughs> he's going to celebrate it as well. And we see him making arrangements for that. Uh, look again with me at verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may, enter, uh, may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared 
the Passover. Uh, just, just note again, I mean, we've seen it a few times in the book of Mark, but just note how in control Jesus is here. You know, th- th- there's no chance involved. Jesus is directing events. This is going to ha- uh, go into the city, this will happen, and exactly that happens. He intends to be in Jerusalem. He intends to share this meal with them. Even though he is going to his death, Jesus isn't at the mercy of fate here. He's in control of his fate. He is directing what is taking place. And so as he's arranged, uh, preparations are made and they join together to celebrate this meal. Look at verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, you know, traditionally we have uh, 13 people at this meal. You know, Leonardo's uh, picture, you know, the long table, 12 disciples, Jesus in the middle. Actually, it was probably a lot more people. Uh, we we kind of get the picture that there's, you know, he needs a large room. There's a large group of people here, probably 20 or 30 at least. But Jesus is addressing this to the 12. It's why he specifies them in verse 20. And what a bombshell it is. He drops on them at this meal. <laughs> what, a, what a way to derail a dinner party. One of you guys is going to betray me. What a surprise to them. I mean, we know it's coming, don't we? we we've kind of seen the build-up as we've worked our way through Mark. We saw it last week. We, we, we know someone is going to betray him. We even know who it is. He knows who it is. Jesus knows who it is. But to the disciples, this is all brand new news. This is a huge surprise. I mean, try and put yourself in this situation. You've, you've gathered for this huge uh, religious celebration. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a fun time. It's a great time to get together. You're having this meal with your closest friends. You know, tension's been high, so this is kind of a, a time to, to, to get away and to enjoy it. Uh, Jesus, your, your teacher and your friend is there. I mean, you know he's someone special. You suspect he's the king who's been promised. You don't really understand what that means, but you know he's a big deal. And you're gathered around and all of a sudden Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me. One of you guys is going to give me up. (laughs) How do you take that? Really? Who would would do that? Surely, Surely it wouldn't be me. No wonder they're grieved. No wonder they're saddened. That's, that's devastating news. And yet still they get to share in this meal together. Let's see what happens. Uh, verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. And <laughs> I get kicked out. <laughs> he doesn't say, one of you is going to betray me, so be off with a lot of you. They, they keep on with the meal. Now remember, remember what this Passover was. I mean, we read it before from Exodus chapter 12. Remember, it's this meal that is celebrating God's incredible rescue of his people. You know, they've, they've been in Egypt, they're being crushed and, and held under that slavery and, and, and worked to death. 
But, but God's rescuing them. He's going to lift them up out of that. He's going to bring them out through blood and destruction. He's going to save them. His angel of death is going to pass through that land. He's going to kill all the firstborn. How do God's people escape that? Well, they escape that by killing a lamb and by painting its blood on their door frames. And that blood covers those inside. It says there's death in that household already. And therefore they live, literally, passed over and safe. They don't sit in the house wondering, you know, is there a chance it could still happen to us? And they don't sit there afraid. If that lamb's blood is on the door, they know because God has said that they are safe. They know they're covered. It's like that feeling, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, it's like that feeling of going to a new gym for the first time. I don't know if you've ever done that. You know, you, you step in uh, the door of your new gym uh, and it's, you know, it's busy and you, you, you just feel, you feel nervous already, but you feel so out of place, don't you? Uh, you, feel, you feel like this guy uh, in the picture that's going to appear. You feel like him. You can guess which one. This is not a self-portrait, by the way. <laughs> if it was, I'm not that guy. Uh, <laughs> But that's how you feel, isn't it? We'll drop that down. We don't need to embarrass him any longer. But that's how you feel when you walk into the gym, don't you? You know, everyone's massive and strong and fit and everyone, you know, is working on these incredibly complicated machines and looking so conf confident while they're doing it. And you feel like you don't belong. You think, oh, I don't fit in this place. But the truth is you do. You do fit in that place. You fit into that place just as much as anyone else fits into that place. Why? because you've got your membership. You know, you've got your little card that says you are a member of that gym, that you belong. You do belong there, not because you're as strong as all them or as good on those machines as them or you look as fit as everyone else. You belong because your name is on that card. It says you're there. You're covered as you walk into that gym by that little card. And that's what the Lamb's blood does for God's people. It covers them. It says they belong. It gives them confidence. Come back to this meal that we read about in Mark. Should Jesus' disciples have felt sad? Should they have even felt afraid? You know, when they hear his pronouncement of his betrayal? Well, in one sense, yes. I mean, can you imagine Judas having, you know, sitting there, the, the shiver that must have gone down his spine? I've I, I found out. But the rest weren't great either, were they? You know, each of them says in turn, surely, surely not me. But you know what happens? Well, in only just a few hours, every single one of them abandons him. Yes, one of them at this meal is going to betray him, but all the rest are going to run away. All of them leave him to face his death alone. So in a sense, yes, all of them. Yes, it is them. And that is exactly the point. There is not a single one of them that deserves to be around that table. This isn't a meal of merit. It's a meal of grace. Their position, their safety... <laughs> It's not in themselves. It's not even in, you know, they're following to this point. Yes, they've been with Jesus for three years perhaps. But, but that's not their security. 
Their security, their confidence, their belonging is in the meal that they share and more importantly, the one not only whom they share it with, but the one in whom they share. It's in Jesus, his body, his blood. The true lamb is their true hope. And so it is for us. That fear is very easy, isn't it? Maybe I am a fraud. Maybe my life is a lie. You know, maybe one day all these people sitting around me will find out that I'm actually not like them, that I'm really just a sham. I mean, after all, I'm not, not good like they are. I can't make the choices they do. I, I do all of this and they do that and I don't do this and they do Do you hear what's underlying that, though? See, there's, there's a belief that's betrayed in that fear, isn't there? There's this belief, uh, I, I need to, or I need to do, or I need to be, uh, that actually my, my security, actually my confidence, it, it lies in me doing or me being this. Well, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, it, it ends all of that. Cuts straight down the middle of it. There is not a single person who comes to this worthy. There is not a single person who comes deserving to be here. Apart from those who come covered by the blood of the Lamb. That is, those who have believed in Jesus, those who have shared in Jesus, those who have trusted in Jesus alone. And they come with confidence that's unmatched. And so rather than Jesus' question and Jesus' warning in this chapter, you know, striking terrible fear into us, it's a test for us. The test that it's intended to be, it, it's there for us to challenge ourselves. Am I trusting myself instead of him? Am I looking at my own deeds? rather than his? Am I trusting in Jesus alone? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how Paul puts it in, in Romans 5 verse 8. Not once we had made ourselves worthy, Christ has died for us. Not once we'd done enough to get close to him, Christ died for us but while we were still sinners while we were completely undeserving completely unworthy Christ died to cover us to give us that confidence his death already given so you will live and that covering is yours today if you trust him you are secure in him that blood is shed that is over you and you are saved you don't have to fear you don't have to worry about where you stand because you stand secure because you stand in him but that said there is more that this meal has to offer it's a meal that doesn't just tell us where you are it tells us also where you will be if you trust in Jesus 
Uh, look, look at what Jesus says when he celebrates it with the twelve. Uh, back at verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Now, clearly, Jesus wasn't saying to them, uh, this bread, it is now my body, as if he's done some sort of you know, magical trick and it's, it's been transformed you know, between the breaking and the giving. Uh, he, he's not saying that at all. What he's saying is, he's saying, this bread, it represents my body. This, this represents me. So by sharing in this, it's as if you are sharing in me. Now, I don't know. I don't know how the disciples took that. I imagine that was a bit of a weird thought for them, but let's be honest, Jesus has done some pretty weird things to this point. This is hardly the weirdest. But then he says the same of the cup, doesn't he? And actually, he gets even more specific. He says, this is my blood. But not just that, he says, this is my blood of the covenant. Now, we might read past that, but there's no way the disciples would have missed that. You know, you can... Imagine their faces here. This is huge news what Jesus is saying here. Because first of all, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's putting himself in the place of that Passover lamb. He's saying, you know, the first Passover, slaughter the lamb, paint its blood on your doorframe, uh, eat it, share in it, uh, and you share in the protection that it gives you. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm that. I'm that Passover lamb. Now, if you think that's a long bow to draw, uh, listen to Paul. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5. It says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the sacrifice to protect you. I'm the one who's going to be killed to cover you. But he's saying more than that. He's going one step further. He says, my blood isn't just that, that, you know, that blood of the lamb at the Passover. He says, my blood is blood of that covenant. He's drawing another Old Testament event into this picture here. He's, he's bringing them together. See, in, in Exodus, soon after God you know, rescues his people from Egypt, he, he brings them out through the desert, he takes them along, and he brings them to Mount Sinai. So he's rescued them, they've been covered by the blood of that lamb, he's brought them out, and now he brings them to Mount Sinai, and he says to this people... He comes down on that mountain. He says to them, you are a special people. Not because you're the best, not because you're the biggest or the greatest. He says, you're special because I have chosen you to be my people. You're mine. And what's more, I'm yours. I'm going to be your God in a special way. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to take care of you and provide for you. We have a special relationship, a covenant. And to seal that incredibly special and gracious agreement, relationship that he's made with them, uh, what does he do? Well, he calls on them to sacrifice. And this is what we read in Exodus 24. They've sacrificed some bulls out of thanks to God, and then this happens. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Do you hear that? This is the blood of the covenant. 
And a thousand years later, Jesus takes those same words and re-says them. But not about the blood of the lambs, not about the blood of the bulls. He says, this is my blood of the covenant. And he gives it not just to the people at Sinai. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The same essential covenant, being God's people, no longer estranged by sin from him, but being close to him, having a special relationship with him, having his protection, his place, his presence. And now, all of that being opened up to many in Jesus and secured in Jesus' blood. And done so even better. You know, at Sinai, Moses shook that blood over the people. He sprinkled it over them as a mark. But do you see what happens here? This blood is not sprinkled over God's people. It's drunk by them. It doesn't just come on us. We share in it. We, we take it in it. In fact, it fills us. And therefore, it changes us in a way that Israel was never changed by that blood. By sharing in Jesus, we're not just given a life. We're not just saved from death. We're actually renewed. We're made new. We're restored and filled with his life. Not only forgiven, but born again in him. And that is good news. That is great news. Not only for today. That's great news for tomorrow as well. Look at verse 25. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You see what Jesus does? He gives his followers, he gives his people a promise says yes this meal is all about my death but it is not the end of the line this isn't it he hasn't just changed where we are with God and then left us to our own devices he's promising us here a future he's saying I'm coming back this isn't it you know he's, he's doing something here that people on a one-way journey don't do um, I don't know what you know, maybe you've never taken a one-way journey I'm not just talking about death here that's like we come and talk about that as the, the one-way journey. But, but, but what do you do? You know, say you, you, you're leaving a place, you know you're probably never going to go back. You're, ne- you're never going to be there again. W- what do you do? Um, well, I remember, I remember when we left Christchurch uh, six years ago. Like, we knew we'd be back to visit. We didn't know if we'd ever live there again. So what do, you, what do you do when you're leaving a place like that forever? You do as much as you can, don't you? You know, you, you cram in all these things, all your favourite things. We, we visited our favourite restaurants and our favourite cafes. We visited my favourite breweries. Uh, we fished in our favourite spots. We went to the, the, our, our favourite places all around the South Island. You know, we, we crammed in as much as we possibly could because we didn't know if we'd ever live there again. What we didn't do is say, uh, we won't go there because, you know, we'll get another chance at that later when we're back. But that's what Jesus says, isn't it? Do you see what he says there? I'm not going to drink wine again because I'm going to do it one day in the future. There's a day coming when I will. I'm not going to share it with you again on this earth because one day I'll get to do it with you in God's kingdom. He's saying I'm not on a one-way journey here. Yes, I'm going to my death, but that's not it. That's not the end. 
There's more to come. There's a promise. I won't drink it until that day when I drink it in the new, anew in the kingdom of heaven. The implication with you. It isn't just a promise for Jesus that he's going to get a great future beyond his death. It's a promise for his followers as well. He's not on a one-way journey. Neither are we. There is a day coming when we, that is all who share in him now, will share in him then as well. Sharing in this meal, feasting together with him. Actually, that shouldn't surprise us at all. Uh, we, we talked about Exodus 24, you know, when this blood was sprinkled and the covenant made. Well, do you know what actually happens next? Uh, some of God's people, representative of God people, God's people, they actually get to go up that mountain. They actually get to go and meet with God. Why? So that they can share a meal with God. So they can eat and drink and feast in God's presence. And it, you, know, you see the way it's described there. It's, it's stunning and amazing. And that's the promise here as well. A day coming where we will feast with Jesus himself in God's presence, enjoying his kingdom. Not only are we covered by the blood of the Lamb now, we are promised to celebrate with the Lamb in the future. If you are here today sharing and believing in Him, then all of that is yours. Not only are you secure today, you are secure forever. You have a future that is promised to you that is beyond compare. You have to wonder uh, about where you're going. That, that question isn't yours. You know where you're going. And this is it. How, how mind-blowing, how life-transforming is that? So don't fear for your future. There's no uncertainty there. Yeah, maybe there is for the next dozen or so years or 20, 30, how many, many you have. But your future is secure. So don't fear for it, but live. So people who don't have this promise, they will fear. And they'll try to, to overcome it by, by living it out. You know, you, you'll see it in the, the, the frantic way. People who don't have this try to live. You know, we, we have to do this. We must achieve this in our lifetime. If I don't, I'll feel terribly disappointed. We, we must go here and there. We, you know, we've only got one life. Let's live it to the full. Let's, let's cram it all in so we don't miss out. But you don't have to live that way if you're in Jesus. You have more than one life. If you miss out in something now, who cares? Better's to come. So are you living a life of fear? Are you trying to cram in everything, fit as much into one life as possible? Or are you living a life of promise? Knowing and, and confident that the best is yet to come. It takes confidence to live that way. And the very best confidence is given right here. A surety and assurance that can never be matched. You might be good at your job, but jobs change and you might not be able to change with it. You might be fit and healthy now. <laughs> that can turn around pretty quick. You might have a wonderful family or friend network, but that changes. 
you might be well off and financially secure now. And how quickly that can evaporate. Or you can share in Jesus and be changed and covered and given life and a future that can never be taken away. It can never be lost, but is yours secure forever. And that's your confidence. Not that you've earned it, but that he's offered it and he's given it freely to you. Share in him and that confidence is yours. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, we praise you for what uh, that supper that Jesus shared with his friends teaches us of what he's come to do for us. It reminds us that as fallible as we are, there is grace unmatched in him. And so we ask that the assurance and the confidence that it offers would be ours. Help us not to trust in ourselves, but remember that though we are completely unworthy, he is completely gracious. Help us not to fear, but to be confident where we stand in him and confident in his return and the promise of a life in him forever. And so we ask that you would help us to live out that confidence, to live it out freely and gladly and without fear, but simply trusting in him who has covered us and has given us life eternal. In his name we pray. Amen.